get a phone call from my supervisor says hey danny we, we could really look, use you up here we got this got a bad feeling about this guy we're going after and that 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 i didn't like that call i mean because they they knew if they called me i'm not going to leave somebody hanging and i'm like man i can't i got too much to do we hung up they're like no big deal a few minutes goes by somebody sends me a text another guy on the team's like man i just got a bad feeling well I got to go at that point. I, I don't tell my wife. She was an, uh, an RN at, at Norman. And so I'm like, I'm not going to even tell her. I'm going to run up there. I'm going to set a drop time. If nothing goes down by noon, I'm coming home because I got to finish this stuff. 11.55, somewhere really close to 11.55. I get out of my car, take all my gear off. Because this, this dude is at the house, and we're waiting him waiting on him to go mobile. And if he's not mobile, I told him, I'm out of here at noon. I, I got to go. 11.55, get out, drop my gear, go into this grocery store to go to the bathroom before I head home. As, I co- as I'm coming back out, everybody's, like, tearing out of the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I knew he was going mobile. With, I, I just... All right. Threw my vest on. I left my helmet off. Um, didn't throw any hearing protection back on. And I had minimal equipment in that car at that time because I was going to turn it in. We go a few miles. And anyway, one of the guys at the marshal service ends up stopping him at a place in time that we, we weren't all quite set up ready to deal with it yet so as i'm rolling up i see this this guy get out of his truck and he starts like shooting my my partner up um the first car that was you know the guy the guy that did that stop anyway he i see him fall out on the ground uh this marshal and he hits the ground i see blood i'm like okay he he's probably dead because he's shooting a rifle uh this bad guy and and he's still walking up on him firing and so uh, i'm still moving and throw the ar up on the dash and i start sending rounds through my windshield to try to get him put down before uh, he gets all the way over to my partner and i i I don't know if i hit him then or not but anyway he redirected his attention at me and starts opening up on my car i get stopped and i mean it's a gun battle it is this, this guy's legit, and um, uh, he's shooting from about every position that I sh- I'm shooting from. I'm shooting from everything we do on the range that we teach our guys. I'm left side barricade, right side barricade, real over prone. I shot in every position. Um, he was too. It was crazy. It was like I'm like formidable opponent, uh, probably the best I'd ever faced. Another partner rolls up right next to me, and I, I'm screaming at him as I'm reloading to get a, take cover. Well, he takes a round right through the driver's side glass. I see it explode. He hits the ground. I'm like, okay, he's he's done too. I'm like, so reload. I'm like, I'll take care of them in a minute. I got to get this guy stopped, and we bang it out a little bit more, and he makes a mistake, and I capitalize on it, right? So. 
that one that was that was an intense gunfight um my, my some my right ear was leaking some fluid at that point i'm totally can't hear nothing um get up to my partner start treating him the front one and um get him taken to the hospital by ambulance they they're making me go and i'm trying to call my wife at the time i'm like oh she's gonna be so pissed you know that's all i could think and finally i I can't hear anything, so I'm texting her. I'm like, hey, you need to meet me in the ER. And uh, I'll never forget, was, uh, Gary James actually transported me by his car and almost got us killed. Um, I'm like, Gary, slow down, man. It's just my ears. Um, it's all good. And But he's driving code six, you know, in his car. And... We get to the ER, and she's standing there. She's waiting on me, and I'm like, oh, no, she's mad. And she's, I get out, and she, she tells me somewhere between, I think we go inside the ER, and she says something like, I, I think this needs to be the last one or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what she said, and I'm like, I, I didn't want, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't need any more of these. I didn't want any of them. And looking back on it now, though, I think she was more afraid of that I was going to respond in a way that I did the rest of them, go to my farm, start pounding whiskey and isolate, and Danny's going to go be back to an F5 tornado. I had established enough foundation at that point to get my life back that it was just the opposite. And I'll say this. My kids were expecting the same thing as well. They didn't say that, but I, I, I promise you, if you ask them, they're going to say, yep, dad's toast. He's going back to the farm. We'll never see him again for months. Um, I know that's what they were all thinking. And I did the exact opposite. I I still don't go out to my farm. I'll go to my farm. I won't stay. I haven't spent the night there in probably since 2015. 2016 but I, I i did the exact opposite i poured into my family I, I i opened up with my wife about that shooting and all the details of it and that's something i didn't do that's something you know you're told we were told in the academy that you know just hey don't don't put this stuff on your wife and and that is so not true um, because they're, I promise you that they are worried about us probably more than we are and they want to understand. So not sharing those details is not doing anyone any good because they, if they don't know that they're assuming things, they fill in the blanks. They yeah. do. And, and With it's the worst possible scenario. Th yeah. Exactly. Uh, that That's it. Every single time we do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I handle things completely different. I'm not saying I didn't have struggles. Some days were, were bad. But overall, night and day difference how, how I handled this shooting and post-shooting. Um, for me, the shootings themselves, they're, they're, I never th that part didn't bother me. It was all the stuff that came afterwards. 
all the legal possibilities, all the personal emotions that are tied to these things from both sides. And um, because one of the biggest lies that I think we, we breed into ourselves or bred into us than we believe it is that we're more human than human. And uh, that's how I thought of myself, especially early on in my career. And it's, it's very true. I mean, we show up to a scene, we're, we're taught how to handle almost everything. If we don't, we lie and we adapt and overcome. We figure out a way to fix the problem. The problem with that is that when we desensitize our emotions on scene, that, that, that's good. But the majority of us, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying the majority, that will carry over when you go home. And when you face a problem at home, you're just like, okay, I'm going to handle this by, I'm not going to have an emotion about it. And I'm just checking out. I'll sit down on my chair and watch a blank TV or just stare at the wall and, and not talk. And, you know, or we start finding answers in a bottle. So we're really taught, and this is one of the biggest lies that I heard in this academy, and I'm not going to call out names, but he was, in a chi- he was the chief or assistant chief at the time, that, and I'll never forget this as a cadet. He came in, he's like, you don't, don't take this personal. This job's not personal, and don't take it home. Well, I remember the first time I, I dropped a hammer on somebody, I'm like, that's pretty damn personal when I shoot somebody. So I'm like, and, and why I went back to that, I remember where I was sitting in the room. I'm like, that's a lie. I'm like, how can you not take this stuff home? And I knew that then, but I didn't know I didn't know what to do with it because I was taking it home and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, so we're really setting our people up to fail from the very beginning. And, 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 and I know that we, that we have some mental health training in the academy, but listen to this. As a cadet that had been there in that cadet setting, all you wor- are worried about during patrol school is what the next meal is going to be, how much food you're going to be able to get, if your room's getting thrashed, and if, if you're going to get a break this weekend, and how long is that break going to be? Okay, so all I was worried about is how I could sneak in a power nap during these classroom settings. Then you got your people, your people that's worried about having to do push-ups in between breaks. They're, they're trying to keep everybody else awake. All right, and so nobody's learning. It you can't learn. I'm not saying you don't retain some things, but and I know Doc Thomas comes in and, and teaches in the academy. But I'm saying, and that's good. But when you really don't retain a whole lot of that in the academy setting, and there hasn't been a lot of follow up after that, because I really don't remember a whole lot about patrol school other than running and doing push-ups, and the food was terrible. That's it. Um, so I, the training that I, I received after patrol school, after my break-in period was over, after probation, that's when I really started retaining info. And 
and I, as I was writing this model, I'm like, okay, we have to do a preventative maintenance, a follow-up from, I mean, just basic foundation, uh, foundation for mental health. And, and I know people don't like to call it that, but I'm, I'm calling it that. Uh, and I, I just, it, it, it is what it is to me. And I, and I want people to be comfortable. If I can sit here and tell you I stuck my own rifle in my mouth because of all this stuff that I went through, that's pretty personable. Um, and it's pretty truthful. And if I can call it what it is, I know I'm not the only one who's done that. I know I'm not the only one who's going to do that because I've, I've worked with people all the time that are suffering. And they're suffering in silence just because they, they'd want to hide behind this because whatever reason, they feel like they're going to lose their position on their current job. They're going to feel like it, it's making them look weak. And I'm telling you, and I'm not boasting about this, but as Danny Long, that I was made out to be this um, more human than human person for so long, and, and I, I believe that. If I can call it what it is and, and, and be truthful about you can't fix this on your own once you get to a certain point um, and admit that, and then be ready to receive help. I mean, if, if I can do it, anyone can. And um, that, that, that's the only reason I feel like I've been through everything. I've been exposed to all the events that I have been. It's not, not about me anymore. And I, and I don't know that it ever was because, I mean, I, I feel like my ultimate purpose here is still to serve my, my people and um in and out of the patrol so my goal is to really turn oap into a service oriented program for us not our department and i i you know there's mandatory things that the department has to do and i don't care what department it is if you're involved in a critical incident uh shooting just say that I get it. There's certain boxes that has to be checked for there to cover them. And and I get that. Um, But afterwards, this is where I really want to OAP to shine. And and so here's what it's going to kind of look like. When, When I really looked at OAP and how it was structured, um, I looked at it as when I was on the receiving end of it, then after I joined it, and and I, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Um, but OAP was structured in a way, probably the worst unit of structure-wise that I'd ever been a part of, in or out of the patrol. Um, and what I mean by that is this. So it's broken down. I think there's three to four teams right now, probably less than that because there's been some people leave. But, for instance, officer-involved shootings. Um, and, again, I, I'm, and, and if you're listening to this and you're one of the people that came up to my house or to the scene, I'm nothing against anybody. 
but when, when you're when you're exposed to something that violent um where you have to become that violent in order to survive or to protect you're in that mode for a little bit it doesn't just shut down afterwards so when someone shows up and they they i know right away if i'm gonna have some um i know what you're saying so you're you're i mean they, they're coming up to you and they're not in that mode at all so they're in the mode of hey how can i help danny long not in, in very much in a uh in an innocent way yeah and, and yeah you know and and i know um hey they mean well and, right. and everybody that's came to my house or to the scene has meant well yeah but at the same time I knew right away if I can if I'm going to have a trusting relationship with you right. that hey this guy's been there he right. understands where my mind is right now I can I can talk to him and personal respect goes a long way in a situation like that somebody yes. that you respect personally already yes yeah and so that never happened it was always people that would reach out afterwards but even then it was it was just different. Um, so I started looking at it back then. I'm like, man, this, is, this doesn't make sense. And then as I got closer to getting on board with OAP and really looking at the structure and how, how people were called out to, to specific events, who they send, and, and I looked at it like this. Like, okay, on the tactical team, everyone has a – understanding on of how the whole mission is going to happen all right but there are specifically trained people for a specific event a specific job that they're they're tasked with carrying out for that mission and that's where i'm going with this oap was never structured in that manner uh, it's just like a shotgun blast of hey let's send whoever's available with and with and again, not not the peers' fault so much as maybe the people that were sending them. And and even then, I'm I'm not trying to point fingers at all. I'm not because we only have so many people that we have to work with on the team. But I knew that was a mission critical thing that we're people were falling through the gaps because we may only get one shot to help somebody, and and if it's a bad contact at the scene or the follow-up uh, day at their house and the guy from pier or oap rubs that person the wrong way he like hey I don't ever come back down here don't ever call me again that's what i want to avoid because these are the people that they may come back they may shine their brass and boots and come back to work but it's not over and we've seen that repeatedly over the last few years especially in the last year of people that's been exposed to things that's that have fallen through the gaps and that's I want to close the gaps so here's what I want to do I want to identify people not just on the team right now but I want to identify people that one has still has a passion to serve because to me it's up to the troopers to fix troopers it's not it's not up to the chief it's not up to the commissioner and don't matter who it is sitting in those chairs and part of this model 
is putting responsibility back on us. We have to take responsibility for us and our partners, and we've gotten away from that, to be quite honest. And um, But this model, it, it, it's putting that back on us to help us. And uh, I won't get into that model a whole lot at this point. We'll come back in with the clinician that's helping me get a, uh, be pushing that model out. But as far as the restructure goes, I want to align the correct people to respond to specific events where they can automatically have trust with that person as soon as they roll up on scene, whether it be a drowning, shooting, major use of force, uh, mass casualty thing, uh, hospital, uh, line of duty injury, line of duty death, crisis intervention. I'm, I'm identifying people to, to run with these programs right now. And we have some really highly trained people that are 100% passionate in, in running this program like this that can be effective, so much more effective if they're concentrating on this one specific issue and then getting them uh, additional training um, and, and then building a preventative maintenance program for us. Uh, that That's the whole goal behind this. So the restructure, that's how I really want to see this. And this is something I hope we can do within the next six to 12 months. It, it's a task because like I said, I, I don't want to just I've reached out to people that's not on OAP right now that I want to bring in um, because we, we have a lot of guys out there that's been through a lot. And and I'm not trying to like force them. I'm never going to force anyone to come over here, but we still have an obligation to serve each other. And, and I don't think OAP has really um, been set up to serve like I said earlier, uh, to serve us. And I, and I think once people understand that redirection, that retask um, in this whole program, that it's for us because nobody's coming to help us. And that, that's what I, I need everyone out there to understand. Chief ain't coming. Nobody's coming. N- not for our mental well-being day to day. That's what I'm saying. We have to help each other. And um, part of this program is going to be involving education so that we can identify um, certain signs our partners may be, um, you know, exhibiting from day to day, um, what that looks like, smells like, tastes like. Because I, I, I went back to some of my close partners and I asked them and I made it very clear. I'm like, hey, I'm not mad at all. I, I, I'm truly asking this for an educational purpose why didn't you call me out when you clearly saw me going off the rails and and they're like well we just we didn't know what to do we didn't know really what was going on and so that's what i want to have all of our guys being able to identify these things better i mean we, we train our guys very well to fight shoot drive take care of everybody else except for us so i want to educate just like we educate our people and in, in shooting i want to educate our people on what it looks like when we start going off the rails it's it's pretty exciting um there's going to be some stuff that's going to be at every trooper's fingertips that completely circumvents 
going through your chain of command when, when you want to reach out for help. Um, it will it will not even be a part of the DPS server, so it will go straight to us, and it, it will make things so much more available, and and help paint a picture on what that path looks like, because right now um, there's there's people that has no no clue what OAP does, and and, and I, that's the truth, um, because OAP I don't think they really knew what was going on and how to handle things because bad things happen every day uh, that we all don't know about, you know. And so it, it's a stressful position. We Not only do we're going to rebuild this, but we still have to be able to handle uh, day-to-day events that come about. So I'm, we're trying to um, maintain that as best as possible um, and there's there's a there's something else that we're trying to stand up uh, an office away from the campus that we can um, have some security if guys want to come in. In the meantime, and I'm working on that right now. And I, I, but the restructure, the off off campus office, um, are things that I, I see happening in the next six to eight months. Hopefully, um, right now we've got the backing of everybody from one down to to run with this and it's it, it i'm very passionate about it i feel like this is my last mission um it's probably the most important mission that i've ever been on because i i, I don't want anybody else to go through what i did on that pond dam of because i'll never forget what that carbon tastes like and you know and and i i don't I don't want anybody else to go through that, experience it. But the fact of the matter, there's guys and girls out here right now that that are there. And so um, in the meantime, before this is all set up, um, we have some things in place at OEP that you can take advantage of right now. Um, reach out to me at any time i mean i'm on the dps contact list um we're going to be pushing out a lot more info in the near future of about what's available um how it becomes available to everyone um so i just want to make the access to getting help i want i want to i want to streamline that event for everyone and we'll, we'll get into more of that when i bring amy morgan back um, Amy, Amy's going to be critical to this mission and the overall wellness program that we plan on bringing to DPS. I wanted to bring up one thing, and we talked about this the other day. You know, we focused a lot on, um, you know, wellness for the troopers and what's going to be available to them and first responders, and that is so important. But you even talked about possibly at some point in time, you know, getting stuff for families too and for, and for spouses and, and how important that is. 100 percent um so without getting into the details of this first phase and and this i'm not talking about the restructure the the true implementation of education of this wellness program and we hope to have it kicked off before the end of the year with this training initiative if not it will be first of the year um 
But yes, it will be troopers first. If you have a commission card and a badge, you're going to go through this type of training. And it, we'll get more into that at a later date. But the whole goal is to educate. We, we don't know what we don't know. And me back then, I, I didn't know what I was going through. Um, so that that's my goal of that training. And I, I know everybody hates training, especially oh, it's another mental health training. Well, I told you, no one's coming for us. We have to help ourselves. This is how we turn things around for us, for our family. We, we, you owe it to yourself to get through this job and not just get through it, but when you leave, you, you're at a good place when you leave. Um, but Sarah, back to what you were saying, yes. So phase one is implementation to every commission trooper. Uh, second year, I, I, I think I'll be able to get funding from the positive uh, responses from the trooper training. Uh, on on now, right now, I have it on paper to train all of the spouses that would like to participate in this same training because there's besides your partner, your your fellow trooper. There's no one better than to assess your daily baseline on your life perspective, job perspective, your outlook, than your spouse. So I want, I, I think by bringing them in as well, it, it's gonna help a lot um, to identify things as a couple as they go through this career. Um, no, no one's immune from, from problems. I don't care what job title you have on the patrol um you're going to be exposed to bad things and and i want to make very clear too trauma's trauma don't take my story and the stuff that i've been through to compare to yours because we're all different um we all handle things differently what affected me out of mine may affect someone in a different manner or the parts of the event just because one thing didn't affect me, the other did, may, may be different for you or, or everyone else. So don't, and I hear that all the time, um, but please don't ever compare your trauma to someone else's trauma because it's, it's all trauma. And it's all going into a trash can in our head, and, and it will fill up, and that's when problems happen. Um, but we want to initiate a program to help keep the trash can empty um and throughout one's career and and that that's part of this preventative maintenance program that we foresee coming well, that's awesome and i've told you this before but i mean it's it's very brave to to share your story and we appreciate that and we look forward to hearing more as this program unfolds well thanks for having me